Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. In our Songs of the Saints series today, though, we're looking at Psalm 127. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Psalm 127, and uh, we will begin there this morning. Psalm 127, right about the middle of your Bible, or just say Siri, Psalm 127. You gotta make sure that we're looking at the Bible on that app, not your fantasy roster. I'm sure somewhere in some church there is somebody who's drafting their team in church. I'm thinking about that like right now. Is anyone doing fantasy football? This is so off the radar, off the cuff right now. Who's doing fantasy football? Who's doing fantasy football? Okay, that's it. I quit too. Man, it's too much stress. Tammy's like, you don't even enjoy football anymore. I'm like, I know, but I can't lose this league. Psalm 127. You know what's cool? This section that we're in right now is uh, the beginning of Psalm 120 through 134. There are 15 psalms. And they are called, if you look at the title, it'll say Psalms of Ascent. And really, these were the the psalms that the Jewish people would actually sing as they made their way to Jerusalem. Jesus himself, as a young boy, went to Jerusalem many times with his family. Uh, You remember the story when he was 12 years old, where he actually stayed back in the temple asking questions, giving answers to the priests and and the religious leaders there. But these were the psalms that they would sing. And all those psalms, 1 through 150, were all written to actually having music to accompany them. And they're really just singing out the truths of God, the way that they could trust in God, the blessings that God had for them because they belonged to him. And this was really their, their kind of their road trip playlist, if you would. They were filled with rich reminders of God's faithfulness, God's promises, and they would rehearse them, teaching the younger generations these truths about God, but also reminding God's people, uh, the, the nation of Israel, uh, about God's faithfulness. And, and apart from God, they were really uh, going to be doomed, and, 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 and apart from him, life was really in vain. And that's what, what this psalm is that we're re- uh, reading this morning. It's kind of like... Uh, when you rehearse these truths, a lot of times you're not learning anything new. In fact, on a Sunday morning, you may feel like, boy, I go to church and I've heard this before, I've heard that before. But going to church really is almost in a lot of ways as we gather together, as we pray together, as we love one another, as we rehearse God's truth together. Sometimes there's something new that pops out, but a lot of times it's just a reminder and it's like going to training camp. It's just things that you get kind of a little rusty and so you get kind of realigned. I think about the children of Israel as they're making their way to Jerusalem, as they're singing together with God's people, that they almost get their lives recalibrated to what is true. And that's what happens when we gather on a Sunday morning uh, and throughout the week in home. So Psalm 127, it, it was singing this truth, that uh, this picture of the faithfulness of God's people and having faith in God. You might think of it like that, that Psalm 127 talks about work that you and I do, but really this trust that we have that God's actually the one that's ac- accomplishing the work. It's, it's Solomon who wrote this one, David's son. And here's what he says. He says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. 
for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he or they speak with his enemies in the gates. All the things that would cover human activity and cause human anxiety, we learn without the Lord that effort is foolish, it's futile. Think about things that you do in life. Think about things. We were talking this morning with our setup crew and our worship team. And, uh, and by the way, aren't we so blessed to have incredible worship team every single week? We have David Sambella here this morning as a guest leader. Mary Beth and Daniel, we're just super blessed to have people reminding us and drawing us into God's presence. But we were talking this morning about the, the ways that we actually can actually do life without God as believers. Ask yourself this question this morning. Are you doing something in life, attempting to do something in life, and you're leaving God out of the equation? It's in your effort. Here's what Solomon reminds the children of Israel and, all, and us this morning. It is vain. In verse 1 and 2, it's explicit, isn't it? Building houses, uh, having security over a city, watching over a city, uh, laboring in, in, the, in the land as a farmer. And then it's implied in raising kids that if you do all these things without God, it is going to end up in vain or futile or worthless effort. The best way that you and I could begin our day, thinking about like how do, how do we respond to this text, and I, and I just want to put it in your mind's eyes, of friends of mine, that, that think through the way you could begin your day is to rehearse that first line. Unless the Lord, oh, I'm going to go and start a new business. Unless the Lord is involved, it's in vain. I'm going to go and venture out to, to start, you know, a new career. Unless the Lord. They're going to let you bring that baby home from the hospital. Unless you go with us, God, we ain't leaving. Those of you new parents. Unless the Lord. God, I'm totally relying on you for success in perhaps your sobriety, success in your parenting, Success in heading back to school to get a degree. Success in starting a business. Being a Christian is not adding some list of things that you're supposed to do and avoiding a certain list of things not to do. Being a Christian is having Christ at the very hub of your life, at the very core of who you are as a person, and completely trusting in him. And so Solomon gives these examples. In fact, number one, he writes about God's blessing and provision in our work life. Solomon reminds us, it's God who builds it's God who protects. It's God who blesses in the building of houses, building of a business, building of a home, or building of a church. It's really a reminder, man, don't start anything without God. Solomon also wrote in, in Proverbs 16, verse 3, Commit your actions to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Think about that. Whatever you attempt in life, man, you do it with God. You invite God in in that scenario or whatever it is that you are, are efforting and doing. Acknowledging him along the way. Even as Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways. It's really saying, God, I don't want to go this way without you. I need your blessing and I recognize any success, it comes from you. And when, when he says without him it is worthless or vain, it literally means no value, worthless, or an empty achievement. And many people try to do life without God, right? Not only... Uh, People that just say, hey, God, I don't want you in my life. I want to be a self-made person. 
But I think that as believers, as I alluded to earlier, we can also do life without God, without his wisdom, without his strength that he wants to provide for us, simply because we're not looking up, we're not reaching out to him and saying, God, I can't move forward unless you are a part of this, unless you are blessing this. He gives some illustrations. Builders, watchers, and farmers. Now, builders must labor, right? Watchmen must stay awake. Farmers must plant seeds but they carry out that work trusting in God. Do you expect your success to be because of you, your wisdom, your intelligence, even your own strength? Or do you expect success to come because you have God on your side and God a part of your life? There's diligence, right? And there's effort that has to be on the part of the builder or the watcher or the farmer or the parent raising kids. There's that effort, right? We cannot expect God to do our work. I remember talking to a, um, you know, a friend of mine who was in, in the business, and, and he said that, man, we, we weren't successful at all. And like, well, what were you guys doing? Like, we were just you know, hanging around doing Bible studies. We just thought that God was going to bless our business because we were reading his word. And you know what I mean? It's like, no, dude, you got to close your Bible. You got to get on the phone. You got to start hustling, right? Like, you can't expect God to do what he's asking you to do. He's not saying, hey, so if you're a builder, hey, just sit back and relax, man, because God's going to take care of it for you. He's not saying that the watchman, hey, go to sleep. Don't even worry about it. I got this handled. No, there's a job to do. There's a job to do as a farmer. But then there's that part that I don't expect anything good to happen Unless God is involved. I can't expect to be successful without him. There's that understanding, right? Without God, without faith in him, without trust in him, without his direct involvement, his hand of blessing, it's in vain. Jesus spoke of this to his disciples. As he's getting ready to leave this planet. It was a day before he was going to go on the cross, take the sins of the world upon himself. Three days later, rising from the dead, and then actually taking off a few weeks later, and ascending into heaven. And it was through his disciples that he was going to build the church, that he was going to spread the gospel message around the world. They had effort. They were going to go preach. They were going to build churches. They were going to go share uh, Christ's love through practical ways and taking care of the poor among them. But he says this in John 15. He says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. The only way a branch can ever grow fruit is if it's attached to the source of life. And so Jesus reminds his disciples that that you will not be fruitful if you try to do this on your own. And I think that this is alluded here in Psalm 127, reminding the children of Israel, like, man, unless God is involved, it's in vain. Unless his activity is involved, it's in vain. A fruitful life is what we're called to, to be diligent, to put out effort. But unless it's connected to the source of life and strength, we have no chance. And so we invite God into everything. God, I'm looking to you. God, I ask you to bless and to lead me. If you're venturing out, starting a business, man, get on your knees and say, God, lead us Open doors, close doors that need to be closed. Illuminate everything that we need to see. And God, we want your blessing upon this. And that's the way it goes in every area of our life. And it's all done in faith, right? Trusting God to make the work 
beneficial. Building houses, building a family, building a church without God, it's vain. Watching cities, having security and armies and protection, without God's blessing, it's in vain. Or even cultivating the land. When he mentions the eating the, 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 the bread of, of anxious toil, you know, it's a reference to, to Genesis chapter 3, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God said that by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work for your bread. And so it's this allusion to, you know, that verse in verse 2 being about planting seeds and, <clears throat> and expecting a crop to rise. Without God's blessing of rain and growth, there is no crop. Without God in the center of it, work life, ministry life, family life, it's in vain. What good does it do a farmer to stay up late? To work his fingers or her fingers to the bone without the Lord, who's the one who promises growth. How, did anyone, you start a little micro farm in your like, backyard? And like the snails are like, thank you for my dinner. They're gone the next day. Right? You ever plant something and you're just like, you know, it, it's, you can't like uh, um, sort of, you know, wish it along. You know what I mean? Like play some music. What do you want to listen to, plant? You want to listen to some John Mayer? Oh, that'll get you in the mood to grow, right? It's not the way it works. You can't will it to grow. You could plant a seed. You could do your part, put some water on that seed. But God is the one who gives growth. I think that that's probably one of the great illustrations, is that you can't force things to happen without God's intervention and blessing in your life. He says, if you're to rise early or you go to bed late to rest, it's speaking of a man who's relying on himself and not God. What faith in God does when you venture out into your work, what faith in God does and trusting him does, it provides peace. And he says that he gives his beloved sleep. Working harder isn't always the answer. Trusting God is. I'm not saying you don't put forth effort. I'm not saying there aren't like sleepless nights when you're starting a business or raising kids or, uh, you know, whatever it is that you got going on. Late up, late writing papers and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes working harder isn't the answer. Trusting God is and resting. Sometimes slowing down and trusting in God is the answer. That's what the Sabbath was all about. You know, God gave the, the Sabbath to the children of Israel. The Sabbath is a is a a truth that the church takes, but the Sabbath is, is a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. Saturday, they were to do no effort, no work. And not only was it to give rest for their bodies, but it was to give rest and peace to their minds that we rest on today, we honor God because he told us to do that, and he's going to bless our crops, he's going to bless our families, he's going to bless our nation and protect us. And a lot of them got a little carried away and saying, you know what? I feel like that that's not smart. We should be working on that day too and planting more seeds. And guess what? Without God, it wasn't blessed. The Sabbath was this concept, God, I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust in you. They sung out this tr great truth, unless the Lord. It's God who builds. It's God who protects. It's God who blesses. And then he says he gives us sleep. Like physical sleep. I know it's ironic that the very next verse talks about him giving us kids, right? <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to give you sleep, psych. I can sleep. 
I can rest because it's you, Lord Jesus, who has my life. A person who is actively trusting in God rests well. I know when I am not trusting God for a situation, his hand to bless something that we're building, his hand to bless a situation that, you know, is in my life. I know that I'm not actively trusting in him when sleep is missing from my life. You're tossing and turning. You're stressing out. You wake up in the middle of the night. Do I have anybody with me like that? You like that? You're like, oh, once my kids, you know, get out of high school, then I won't worry about them. Oh, my gosh. You don't have those little, um, little monitors that, like, can see what that little dude's up to. You know what I mean? When they're in the crib. You're like, look at him just standing around. Like, wouldn't that be great if we just sort of have that when they're like 25? Hey, what are you doing right now? I know where you're at. It's 1.30 a.m. Get home. A person who's actively trusting God sleeps. That's a good indication for me, man. How do I feel at night knowing that the Lord has my life, my interests? He's working everything out on my behalf. But worrying keeps us up. What about this, Lord, right? What about that? I think of James, or, or, or excuse me, Peter, in the, in the book of Acts. Uh, Herod, you know, the, the church was being attacked. King Herod was rising up. He took James, the first martyr, had him beheaded. And then he puts Peter in jail. Can you imagine, like, Peter that night going like, okay, so James, he's gone. He's in heaven now. What's going to happen to me when I wake up? And Peter just like, you know what? My life is in your hands. Wouldn't that be great? You know, we might find out like later, like, oh yeah, one of the guards gave me, gave me some melatonin. Like going, Peter, just resting, sleeping, peaceful. The angel that broke him out that night of prison had to wake him up. Peter, he thought he was dreaming still. He's like, man, I just had this awesome dream. This angel was right before me. It's like really happening, Peter. But you can rest. God, all that I need comes from you. The message being rehearsed is that it's vain to attempt things without the Lord. Laboring, watching, cultivating. Really, they're declaring their faith and trust. God, you alone are responsible for anything good and any growth that happens in my life. And so we toil, right? But we trust. We're faithful with what God is asking us to do. But we have faith. That apart from him, it's vain and it's empty. I read this statement this week and it just struck me. All of our duties are to be performed in unworried reliance. Doesn't it seem like a peaceful way to do life? Hey, you know what, God? If you're in this, it'll be blessed. If you're not in this, I don't waste my time anyways. Unworried reliance. You perform your duties. And what God has before you. Living independent though of God, it's foolish. And as they would sing, it's futile. And then he moves on to family's life. He says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So he says, guys, without God's blessing in your life, it's all in vain. Without his interaction, he speaks of God's blessing and provision in our work life. And then he moves to our home life, number two. God's blessing and provision 
in your home life. It's God who builds. It's God who protects. It's God who blesses. So you trust in him. I read the statement about this passage. It says, if it's, vain, if it's a vain act to build a house without God or to watch over a city without depending on God to preserve it, then it is even greater folly to try to raise a family without God. Like building a house, like protecting a city, like uh, farming a land, the blessing of children, it does not eliminate effort. And all the parents are like, yeah, no duh. Again, remember, they're heading to Jerusalem, the place where they're going to bring sacrifices. They're going to worship Yahweh. It was a time to reorient their lives back to what is true and what is right. And they're rehearsing this truth, unless the Lord, unless the Lord, unless the Lord, it's all in vain. It is funny that he does talk about sleep and kids in the very next verse. <laughs> so what does it look like for the family? What does it look like to put the effort, the toil of raising kids, but the trust in God? God, you're the one that has to do this work. But I think one way is, is how we see them. He says, behold, children, what's the word he uses? Our heritage. And he calls children a reward. The way you and I view our kids, the children that God has given to you, they're not your assets. They're not another set of hands to milk cows, to plant seeds, to mend fences. Here Solomon calls us to actually view them not as burdens or not as trophy kids either. Ask your kids, what's your role in life? To make you look good, mom and dad. Not the way it is. That's a heavy burden to carry around, isn't it? Why are you getting those AR points? Because my mom, man, she'll be so disappointed if she doesn't come to my 1,500 assemblies that they have nowadays. Back in my day, you got like one assembly. Wasn't that, those were good times, mom and dad. Am I right? I'm just kidding. Everybody should get a participation trophy. How you and I view them. They're a gift from him. The kids that God entrusts us with are, are a reward from him. How you view your kids. I love what uh, in 1 Samuel we read about Hannah. Hannah was one who uh, was married, her husband Elkanah, he, they, she was unable to have kids. Uh, her, um, his other wife, that's a whole different sermon series that we'll get to in the fall. His other wife was having kids left and right. And so she was just wounded to the core because it was just within her DNA to have a baby. And her husband's so dumb, he's like, honey, am I not worth more than 10 sons? And then I don't know why he would wait for a reaction. It's like, no. So she goes to the temple year after year. She, she was a part of this traveling group yearly to go to Jerusalem to worship God. And there she was in the, in the, in the tabernacle, and she was praying under her breath. And the priest at the time, Eli, looked at her and says, woman, put away your drink. Like, it ain't wine down Wednesday today. So I guess she was preparing for mommyhood. But there she was. She says, listen, I'm not, I'm not drunk. Don't, don't confuse me with somebody that's like that. Said, this is a bitter soul. And he says, go your way. The Lord grants your request. He didn't even know what he, she was requesting. And you know what she did? Okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And God blessed her with a son. And she named him Samuel. 
And then she brought Samuel when he was weaned and ready. And she says, for this child, I prayed. That's what we do when we do baby dedications, by the way. Isn't that great? She named him. I prayed for this child. I've asked him, I've asked for him from the Lord. And she saw him as a gift and a reward. There's toil and then there's trust. There's being faithful raising kids. And part of it is in how you see your child that God has put in your life. Not only how you and I see him, but how we raise him. The language is like arrows in the hands of a warrior. What a great word picture, right? Blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. I think that that means like six arrows. So we got half a quiver, and that's about as much as we could do. But we appreciate you growing RVC from the, the, the bassinets up. Like our growth happens with us having children. So the right coffee, the right side out there, if, 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 you're, if you want to keep it quiet in your household, you have that coffee. The left one, we're not sure what God has blessed that one with, but kids are coming. And one day, like an arrow in the hand of a warrior, they're supposed to launch out from us. They're supposed to leave our household and to go and do something, right? What's the goal, though? See, if you're going to be faithful and also have faith in not only the building of a house and protecting a city and the cultivating of a land, but the raising of a family, it's how you view your children and how you raise your children. The end goal. What is the goal? To be hard workers, to be educated, to be well-mannered? Those are all great things. But I can't think of any other great like, achievement for a mom or a dad, a single mom or a single dad, or a grandparent who has influence in that kid's life, is to raise them to know and love and follow Jesus Christ. To know that that is the only life that is actually worth living. In fact, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes, the entire book, if you try to find joy in life apart from God, it's all vanity. And he gets to the end of the book, and he tells young people, remember that your creator in the days of your youth. And then he says, here's the answer to the matter. I've searched it all out. Fear God and keep his commands. I can't think of anything else you and I could teach our kids. You could teach them how to use the salad fork. I want the biggest fork, right? You want to get as much on there as possible. Oh, you poor soul. Your mom didn't teach you how to use your napkin properly. You know what? She taught me about Jesus Christ. She taught me about the grace of God. Shaping those arrows. To live a life that brings glory and honor to him. Our role is to shape them, to launch them, so they don't divert from the flight path. Young people, your job is to remember your creator in the days of your youth and the, and the seeds that were planted in your life as a young kid in a Sunday school class, in a living room with your mom and dad or with your grandparent reading scripture to you is that your job is to actually, I'm not going to deviate from this path. My job is to shoot straight for the glory of God. And you're supposed to leave, by the way, too. Don't go back to that quiver. Occasionally, they're like a boomerang, right? But eventually, they go. As they journeyed there, I wonder how many souls would just be cut to the heart. How many moms and dads had some mixed-up priorities for their kids, too, in Israel? And you hear that passage, and you go, like, a, like, like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. Some serious stuff shaping them, 
they would go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone is one. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands. Wear them on, the, on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The idea is that, guys, loving God with all that you are and all that you have is the highest priority of life. And by the way, it's the best life. And it was always before their families. How we view them, how we raise them. Paul calls us to bring them up in, with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. All these things, they could, of all the things that they could catch from you and I, right? You think about the things that kind of like make you tick. How many, how many Raider fans do we have here this morning? There we go. We're gonna, how many 49er fans do we have? Okay, we're going to pray your kids don't catch that. I'm going to give them little Packer footballs at our, uh, our fall gathering. Who cares what team they end up with? They don't have to sit at the same table with us at Thanksgiving if they don't want to like our teams. Oh, I just want you to have a love for music or fine arts or whatever. You know the greatest thing they can catch from you? is a love for Jesus Christ that was visible in our lives. Not only did it cut to the heart of, of, uh, of those that were singing these songs with their kids, but man, it does something to us too, right? How easily our lives could just get off track just a little bit. They get recalibrated to what really matters. Unless the Lord, unless God, you're in this building what I'm, what I'm trying to build in my life. Unless you're in this protecting what I have actually built in my life, God. Unless you're involved in the raising of my kids, God, we could jack this whole thing up. Can I get an amen? You know what's so great about God's grace? I, I was sitting with my, my oldest boy last week. We had coffee together. And, uh, and he's all ready to rock, to rock and roll, right? Have, bringing a kid into this world. I'm like, you're going to disappoint yourself. I get a redo, so I'm not going to fail this time. But you're going to disappoint yourself. You're going to say things that you said, oh, I'll never say this to my kid. I'm going to do, can I, is there any real parents here today? Right? You're like, oh, we will never discipline out of anger. <laughs> I got my youngest son right here. He remembers getting a spanking in the middle of the, of the, of the garage. His brothers blamed him on the thing that happened in the garage. But toughen him up. Now he's in the Navy. So good for you. You're all welcome. Thank you. <laughs> all these things. I'm so grateful that there's effort. And then you stumble and you blow it and you mess up. And it's faith. God's grace. It covers our sin and mistakes. And his direct involvement. By the way, that's what I want involved in my kids' lives. How do I get better at this? Fall in love more with Jesus Christ. You want to be a better, if you want a better marriage today, this is for free, not even part of the sermon. If you want a better marriage, make Jesus Christ your number one priority. And I promise everything gets elevated. Everything gets elevated. You want to be a better parent? Put Jesus Christ at your high priority. Walk with him, know him, love him. 
Get on your knees every single day and say, God, unless you have direct involvement in this day, I can mess this whole thing up. I'm looking to you for your blessing. Unless the Lord, let that repeat in your mind. And you trust that God will give you all that you need to shape them. There are two things that we can hope to give our kids. One is roots and the other are wings. Roots that are connected to life in Christ and wings to one day leave our homes and to go out to a life that Jesus has called them to live. And that takes faithfulness on our part and toil and trust, right? Trusting in God. Teach them about God's grace. You know, a few weeks back, I told you that we had purchased this gospel primer for every person here at the church. It's for you personally to grow in your own understanding of the narrative of what happened 2,000 years ago, even before you were born, what God has done for you and I. This is one of the great resources in my life because it recenters me back again every single time I read through it with all the scripture references about, man, who God is. And, and it reminds me that no one could ever love me more than Jesus Christ loves me. These are free. They're out there at the Connection Center, right? The coffee cups are not, but these are. So grab one today. I can't, I can't think of any reason why there would any, be any of these left. Take some for your friends, I promise. It will help you as you learn to shape and teach your kids about Jesus, the cross, his love for them, his grace. You get advice. You reach out to other people who are in your same stage of life. But in the end, you need Jesus to be directly involved. You need his blessing. The way you view him, the way you raise him, and the way you pray for them, right? We all need a, unless the Lord, unless the Lord is involved in this. All the effort without God, it's in vain. Lord, my hope is not in my abilities. My hope is in your blessing. My hope is that you intervene in my kids' lives. And in the end, with the Lord, they'll become like arrows. What a mental picture, he says. And they'll be a defender for the family. They'll be a defender for those who have no one to defend them at the city gates. The character traits of the godly of the land. Think of Boaz and, and, and that, that godly businessman that actually helped not only support many, many people and employ many, many people, but he himself became a redeemer for Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and became a defender actually at the city gates as he stepped forward to redeem them out of their brokenness and poverty. Sometimes we as parents, we need to stop stressing. What if they don't have this experience? What if they don't have that one? And what if they're not doing so good in school? You know, these little cookie cutters, I'm getting off, I'm sorry. Maybe we just need to start praying more for them. Maybe we need to dedicate more time in prayer over our children and our parenting. And then rest. Be faithful and have faith. Do you have some kids that have wandered from the faith? This week. Be faithful. God, I want you to, I want you to, you know, I pray, Lord, I want you to wreck their life and their fun until they recognize that life apart from you is vanity. Like, take all their fun away. Remove every person from their life, every stumbling block from their life, and illuminate the lies that they might have believed or have heard from the enemy. And God, I want you to bless their life and bring them to you. To be diligent in your work life, your family life. But it's, again, it's utterly dependent upon the Lord. What's that look like? Is it sort of a shout out to the Lord? Jesus, you got this one? Sort of in the big moments? I think it's made up in the little moments. 
think it's found in the small ones, where you as a person seek to live with Jesus Christ at the core of who you are, where seeking him is your priority, where you spend time in his word on a consistent basis. That person is saying, God, I'm on my knees today because my wisdom is not going to bring blessing. God, I'm relying upon you. I may be running this business or running this family, but unless you, Jesus, are directly involved, it's in vain. It won't work. God, my reliance is upon you. You are my foundation. Can I encourage you this week? Get more of Jesus in your life. Seek him first. Invite him into your life, in your work life, in your family life. Talk about him with your kids. Pray for them and with them. And if you've been thinking about, man, what, what are some sort of stakes in the ground that I could place this week? What, one of the things that we encourage you to do is to take a next step on that connection card. As you jot down, man, this week I'm going to memorize verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord, and every day, man, I'm going to rehearse that in my head. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord, I was reminded of that this week, running RVC. In case you didn't know, I was a pastor. 16 years ago, this week, Tammy and I packed up our U-Haul from Southern California and drove in this beautiful climate. <laughs> Come Bakersfield, not so beautiful. We got to Fresno, lighten up a little bit. About 107 degrees. This morning, I was praying for RVC, and I remember thinking to myself, Lord, unless you are involved in that little Bible study we're going to start, it's all in vain. And you know what's great? is all week long, I was like, Oh, yeah, this is actually your church, Lord. I'm not saying I couldn't mess it up. I'm just saying, <laughs> unless the Lord. Maybe your next step is that you're going to practice relying on God for your daily success in life. What does that look like? Every week, every day this week, first thing you do, drop on your knees before God. Practice this this week. Get on your knees before you even started anything and say, God, I'm going to rely on you for all the success that happens this week. God, my eyes are all, I'm looking up to you. All week long, let that become your daily habit. And trust me, I promise that will start to get into a groove in your life where you're literally, so, unless the Lord, I mean, that's just, your, your friends are going to hate that statement. Like, hey, we should do this. Well, unless the Lord is involved. Unless the Lord builds the house, we're working in vain. Maybe today you might need to get some prayer. Maybe you've been doing all this effort and you've been doing it all on your own. You're saying, I, God, I'm done trying on my own. And maybe you go over to one of the, the sides of the room at both these tables where some friends of ours, people that care and love for RBC, ready to pray for you and with you during our last song and also during the end, after the service is over. Maybe for you, your next step might be to stop running from God and commit your life to him. Because like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, throughout chapters 1 through 12, all of life without God is vain. It's emptiness. He said it's like chasing the wind. You chase after it. Oh, this is going to make me joyful. Oh, this is what's going to satisfy my life. My friend, nothing apart from relationship with Jesus Christ will ever bring true satisfaction to your heart. As a Christian, you might need to be reminded of that as you chase after things, you chase the wind and its emptiness. But maybe today's a day for you, friend. Maybe you've been running from God. 
Maybe he's been speaking your heart. He's been putting Christians in your path, telling you that, that God loves you and has a plan for your life. But, but it begins with you understanding, unless the Lord is in my life, everything I do will be worthless in the end. When you submit your life to Jesus Christ, you allow him to come into your life. He forgives all your sin. He empowers you to live a life that you can never live on your own. And he gives you the hope of eternal life that one day when you take your last breath on this planet, you'll take your very next in the presence of God. Why would God allow you into his kingdom? Because you worked hard and you tried hard and you were a good person? No, but because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. The Bible says that God made him who had never sinned to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. When Jesus hung on the cross, he absorbed the sins of the entire world and the wrath that that sin deserved. God Almighty poured out his wrath upon his dear son, Jesus. And in exchange, all my sin was placed on his son, Jesus, and then I get all of his righteousness. Your standing, my friend, my standing with God today is not because you and I tried hard last week or you read your Bible 20 times. You're standing with him and, and you're perfect in his eyes because you have faith in his son who was perfect. So how do you become a Christian? Well, you admit to God that you're a sinner. You confess to him uh, your sins and you choose to turn from it. You believe in your heart that Christ is Lord and you ask him to come and be your savior. And it's more than just like believing a certain amount of, you know, kind of a creed, if you would. There is truth that you and I embrace and believe that we sang earlier this morning. But it's God himself taking residency in your heart. The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone opens that door, and hears my voice and opens that door, I will come in in his life or their life, and there will be relationship. So today, your next step might be to surrender to God. And my prayer is that you will take that next step. Turn your life over to him. You pray with me now. Father, thank you for your love. And God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And God, this morning I'm praying that you will help each and every one of us, God, to live life with that motto, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Lord, a lot of us have been doing life apart from you. A lot of us have been trying to build our families apart from you with little involvement asking you to, to directly intervene. God, some of us are venturing out building businesses apart from you. Or Lord, just trying to do life without you, God. It's so foolish, futile. Would you help us today, God, to recognize that all of our success, though we put out effort, God, it's because you choose to bless. And Lord, we don't want it any other way. God, we want more blessings in our life, God, that don't match the effort that we put out. And I can't think of a, a a more important area of our life than our family life. Lord, we need you to go beyond a matching gift. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit involved, God, to cover our mistakes, to directly bless our kids. And Father, I also pray for those that might be here today. There might be one person here this morning, God, who needs your love, that needs your forgiveness, and today they're ready to take a step forward and allow you to come and be their Lord and their Savior. Open their eyes right now, God, to your love their deep need for you today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if, if that's you this morning, say, hey, Gordon, would you pray for me? Today I'm ready to surrender my heart. I want Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand up high enough so I can see it, and we're going to tell God together right where you're sitting what you want him to do in your life. If that's you, 
Right now, just put your hand up. Lift it up high. Hold it up in place. Let's tell God together what you want him to do. If that's you, you lift your hand up. Anybody here today? Anybody here this morning? And I never want to leave a morning, a service here at RBC. We don't give somebody a chance to experience his love and his grace and his mercy to flood over their life. You sense God is knocking on your heart, man. You take that step today. Don't put it off. Anybody here today? You lift your hand and let's tell God together what you want to do in your life. Man, he loves you. Man, he loves you. But it begins, you experiencing that love begins with taking a step. Well, Father, thank you for your love and your goodness. And Lord, thank you for this reminder. Lord, for centuries, your people, God, sang this song so that they might be reminded, God, that life apart from you is van vanity. Lord, we're reminded again today. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace and your mercy today. Bless us now. Same. Everybody said? Hey, listen, I'm going to invite our ushers up to come real quick. And if you've Put that next, if you've got that next step that you have ready to go, it's also our time to, uh, to give. There are many ways to give here at RBC. If you're a visitor here, please do not feel obligated. But this is one of our ways that we uh, make it an opportunity to give, but also for you to put those cards in there. Let's thank God for his provision. Lord, thank you for all that you do for us, God. You provide so well here at RBC. Lord, would you use, Lord, our, our giving that we give as an offering of worship, Father. Would you use these resources, God, to further your kingdom, God, to disciple more people and reach more young people this year than ever before in our history, Lord. And would you be glorified in all that we do, Lord. Receive this now as worship unto you. In your name.